This is This Week in Detroit Tigers Baseball, episode number 8 for the week of August 17th through the 21st, The Huff Factor. This Week in Detroit Tigers Baseball is brought to you by Fansided.com. Fandom has no offseason, and neither do we. Fansided.com, the number one pro sports blog network on the internet. Coming up this week in Detroit Tigers baseball, we are joined by the host of the Knee Jerks, Greg Eno and Al Beaton, to talk about the addition of some offense to the Tigers, the Boston series, the condition of Brandon Inge, and so much more. Paul Wesner also joins us of Tigestown.com to talk about the recent addition to the Detroit Tigers system and a prospect at the AAA level that might be called up in September. It's time to lace up those shoelaces, grab the glove, and throw on some eye black. Okay, maybe not, but this week in Detroit Tigers baseball episode number eight starts now. Hyde Ryan is in the left field. This ball is hit well, way back. Luciano will watch it fly. It's gone. For second, the 1-0. Swinging a fly ball. Left field is deep. It's way back. The Tigers are going to the World Series. Bringing the best Detroit Tigers bloggers together to talk about our team. Sponsored by MotorCityBengals.com. It's This Week in Detroit Tigers Baseball, and it starts now. Hello and welcome to another edition of This Week in Detroit Tigers Baseball, episode number eight. I'm your host, Joe Dexter of MotorCityBengals.com. Coming up in episode number eight, we've got a lot to get to. Joining us will be Paul Wesner of Tigstown.com. He'll join us in the Prospects on the Prowl segment to talk about the recent additions to the Detroit Tigers system. Also joining us this week is Greg Eno of GregEno.com and Al Beaton of the Wayne Fonts Experience at WayneFonts.com. You can catch them together every Monday night at 11 p.m. Eastern Time on the Knee Jerks on Blog Talk Radio. We've got a lot to talk about, including the recent series against the Seattle Mariners, a series that included a 5-3 win over the Seattle Mariners in game number two. Jim Leland, the Tigers manager, says that Miguel Cabrera, he was clutch in their eighth inning rally. Miguel showed you why he's a big-time player. Came through and, you know, obviously come through to get us on the board. Santiago with a pinch hit and then, uh, you know, Miguel with a big, huge hit. You know, we were fortunate enough to hang on. But, uh, you know, a nice win for us. You know, one that... uh, you know, it didn't look good for a while, but uh, we finally got it. Also clutch was the bat of the rookie catcher, Alex Avila, who hit a home run in the eighth. Manager Jim Leland talks about the spark that home run had. That was huge, no question about it. You know, he put a good swing on it, and opposite field, that's, 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 that's big time. I mean, that's, uh, that's hard to do. Offense has been hard to come by for the Detroit Tigers, and recently brought up Alex Avila, the Tigers catcher, says the Tigers fans, they've been giving him a warm reception since being brought up from the minor league. Every time I go out there, I get a pretty good ovation, and, uh, and even when I'm not playing, you know, they're they're very friendly, uh, especially when I'm out in the bullpen, all the fans out in the bullpen and, and left field, so it's, it's been great so far. Beyond the play on the field, the Tigers' management has been busy in the last week, adding a left-handed bat that can play all over the place, a utility player that is excited to be in a Tigers uniform. Aubrey Huff talks about being in that pennant race with the Detroit Tigers. I, I know for they've told me for the last, past couple years they've been trying to get me over here, and yeah. you know this kind of came out of left field for me. I wasn't really expecting anything to happen, but uh, you know I'm going to miss the guys in Baltimore. I had a great time with those guys, but over here it's going to be really exciting for me. Though it may not be the same type of excitement as a pennant race, many new Tigers players are getting ready to start their careers. This week in Detroit Tigers baseball was part of the post-deadline phone conference as Daniel Fields, Jacob Turner, and Andy Oliver share their thoughts the same day they signed their first big league contract. We'll play clips from that, plus Paul Wesner of Tigestown.com, the home of Tigers minor league coverage, and in-depth team analysis will join us later for the Prospects on the Prowl segment where we'll break down these draft signees, plus we'll talk about a AAA pitcher that is struggled since his call-up from AA Erie. That's all coming up on this week in Detroit Tigers baseball. We're proud to be standing there like a house on the side of the road, and we cheer when your Tiger hits it long gone. MotorCityBengals.com, part of the Fansided Network at Fansided.com. All-star fans, all-star content. Fansided.com is a sports network where diehard fans dish out nonstop sports news and views. Come after me! I'm a man! I'm 40! Fandom has no offseason, and neither do we. We're talking about practice. Not a game, not a game, not a game. We're talking about 
practice. Not a game, not a game, not a game. Beansided.com, the number one pro sports blog network on the internet. Welcome back to this week in Detroit Tigers baseball. Here's your host, Joe Dexter. Welcome back to this week in Detroit Tigers baseball, episode number eight. I'm your host, Joe Dexter. Earlier this week, as the deadline quickly approached for the Tigers organization to sign its draft prospects, 25 new collegiate and high school players signed on the dotted line. They became professionals in a career they've longed to compete in for quite some time. Of those were Jacob Turner, the first-round pick, a prep righty out of Missouri with what many consider the best two-seam fastball in this prep class. Turner credits a lot of his success to former Major League pitcher Todd Worrell and realizes that at this level, it's in the best interest to allow the Tigers to make the next big career move as he works his way towards the Major Leagues. You know, obviously the Detroit Tigers are a great organization. They're really the only thing I can worry about is going out there and pitching and being the best Jacob Turner that I can be. And um, I'll let the club um, do their job in deciding how fast or how slow they want to move me along. Andy Oliver caught a lot of eyes in his third year with Oklahoma State, including scouting director David Chads in the second round. A 6-3 lefty, Oliver has experienced an international play that goes with his solid 92-97 mile-per-hour fastball, solid form, and an excellent changeup. However, one thing Oliver will need to work on is his third pitch. Oliver is excited, though, that somebody will be working with him, and he is ready to tow the rubber. During the year, I tried to throw slider and um, curveball so I kind of got stuck in between um, you know I tried to work it out working on it in the season you know it kind of just wasn't coming um, but I'm ready I'm happy that you know I'm with the organization there's somebody going to be working with me and um, you know I'm just excited to you know I think they're going to be hands-on and um, really get that back for me um, and I, you know I'm just excited. Excited to play for his hometown team is Daniel Fields, the son of former Tigers outfielder and hitting coach Bruce Fields. Fields was taken in the sixth round of this draft and was rated as one of the best prop shortstops in the country and the best prospect out of Michigan. Fields brings a lot of talent to the field, and on deadline day, it was a tough decision for him to make on whether to pass up the University of Michigan or play for his hometown team. In the end, Fields decided this was an opportunity he couldn't pass up. Well, it was a, it was a very tough decision. Because um, when I was first getting recruited, I uh, I fell in love with Michigan, especially uh, Coach Maloney. Um, he was the main reason why I went to uh, Michigan. So uh, it was it was a very tough decision, especially uh, when I made a decision the decision to sign, and I had to call uh, Coach Maloney and tell him that I wasn't uh, going to be coming there. So um, I mean, this is just an uh, opportunity I couldn't pass up. So I mean, it's just one I'm uh, happy with, and I just want to get going. Turner, Oliver, and Fields will all get their start at Class A Lakeland. We now bring in Paul Wesner of Tykestown.com to talk about these players and a pitcher from the AAA level that has struggled so far after a dominating start at AA Erie. It's time for Prospects on the Prowl this week with Tigers Baseball. They're not growling, they're not biting, heck, they're not even angry. But these young players have a future in the old English D. It's time for Prospects on the Prowl on MotorCityBengals.com. Here's Joe Dexter. Now joining me is Paul Wesner of Tigerstown.com, the home for Tigers minor league coverage and in-depth team analysis. Paul, how's it going? Doing well, how you doing? Doing great. Well, there's a lot of news going around. It's a busy time with new draft prospects entering the system, and we'll get to some of those bigger signings in just a bit. But one pitcher I want to talk about is Brooks Brown. Brown came over to Detroit in the James Skelton deal to Arizona. He started the year solidly at Double A Erie with those six starts, and now he's working on things at the AAA level. His numbers haven't been perfect at the AAA level, but could we possibly expect a call-up in September? Um, I'd say at this point it's probably pretty unlikely we're going to see Brown in Detroit in September. Certainly it could be a possibility, but with uh, manager Jim Leland coming out and saying, you know, he's kind of viewing the September call-ups this year as less is more. He doesn't want to be calling up a bunch of guys just to sit on the bench and do nothing six out of the seven days a week. Brown's the type of guy that could still, he still definitely has potential at the major league level, but he's, you know, a control type pitcher, a sinker slider type guy. And right now he still has some things that he's got to work out. He's been actually bouncing between the rotation and the bullpen for Toledo the past couple of weeks. So at this point, I don't see him coming up to Detroit. He really projects as more of type of like a fifth starter type pitcher who realistically at this point, the Tigers aren't really in need of any innings eaters. So he's somebody that's probably going to potentially be going to instructional league or maybe even the Arizona fall league this fall. And then we'll see how he looks next spring. 
for fans that maybe aren't familiar with the prospects in the system, does Braun project kind of to be like a Zach Minor type pitcher? Um, potentially, I'd say Miner can dial it up a little bit higher than he can. Brown typically sits in the low 90s, normally like maybe 91, 92. Um, there's certainly some comparisons there, but I'd say one of the real key differences besides just the velocity is that Miner has shown in the past that he can really dial it up and get strikeouts when he needs them. And Brown has really been much more of a control pitcher, almost maybe like a poor man's Brian Moeller, so to speak. Somebody that's really not going to strike out a lot of guys. Typically won't walk a lot, though. He's had a few control problems later on as the season has worn on. But really more the guy that really he's going to let the ball get put in play and then he's going to rely on his defense to put the guys out. Well, let's make the switch to the draft coverage. Three guys, big guys, signing in Detroit at the deadline. Let's start with first-rounder Jacob Turner, who gets a little bit more than four-and-a-half signing bonus. He was going for that $7 million bonus. Is this a guy that projects as a number-one starter? Um, He definitely projects as a number-one, number-two type starter, has that ace potential. Um, Probably isn't quite the same prospect that Porcello was coming out. I mean, obviously, Porcello was really one of those guys that you see come out you know, once every five to ten years. Um, comparatively, really, the best prospect that had came out since Porcello, you got to go back to Josh Beckett. So throwing out comparisons like that are tough, and I hope Tiger fans will kind of be cognizant of that, that a guy like Porcello is really a rarity and a really an incredible prospect the Tigers were lucky to get. Um, Turner has that potential, and obviously the Tigers expect him to move relatively quickly through the system, given that they sign him to a major league contract as opposed to just giving him a minor league deal and a big signing bonus. So this is somebody the Tigers are going to expect to move quickly. He's got that sort of potential that he could protect to be a top-of-the-rotation starter, but he doesn't have the same you know, polish and things like that that Porcello has where he went from high school pitcher to big league starter in less than two years. Let's take a look at second rounder Andrew Oliver, the lefty out of Oklahoma State. In the press conference today, he said that during last year in college with Oklahoma State, he was balancing between a slider and a curveball, and that was a lot of the reasons why he was having trouble throughout the season. Now, is this a guy that can project as one of a top two, top three starter, or is he a guy that you see going into the bullpen at some point? Um, At this point, there's no indication they're looking at him as a bullpen guy right now. He's already obviously got a very good fastball. He's got a respectable change, and as you alluded to, you know, Really what killed him this past season was the lack of a good breaking ball pitch. And, you know, as he mentioned, he was, you know, kind of going back and forth between the curve and the slider. Um, It was one of those things where had he likely just picked one pitch and stuck with it, he probably would have been better off. But they started bouncing him around, and I think that really kind of screwed with his mechanics. And anybody that's thrown a curveball or any sort of breaking ball before knows that, You know, you really have to get your arm motion and everything very consistent so that you're repeating the exact same delivery time and time again. Otherwise, you're going to be prone to, you know, either just spinners where the ball's just going to hang up there or where you just simply can't control it and put it where you want to. So I think it's really a matter of him probably trying to do too much and not just trying to focus and work through an issue. And I think ultimately him now being a member of the Tigers organization is really going to help him work through that because I think – the coaching that he's going to be able to get being now a professional baseball player, being that his job now year-round is really going to help him out and work through those issues. Now, if he can work through the breaking ball and the command issues, is this a guy, being a lefty, that we you see as a power pitcher type, or is he more of a bulldog type? You know, um, you know he can definitely power it up there. You know, he typically sits in the low to mid 90s, but he's hit 95, 96 on the gun consistently this past spring. So he's somebody that can definitely fire the ball in there. You know, it's just going to be one of those things of um, where he feels most comfortable, what if he relies more on a four-seamer or a two-seamer, that sort of thing. You know, Porcello was a guy that when we drafted him, they said, you know, hey, he can hit 96, 97 on the gun. But you really rarely see that out of them simply because when he tries to dial it up like that, the ball flattens out and he typically leaves it up in the zone and is prone to giving up long balls, whereas when he sticks with his, you know, the two-seamer with great sink on it, it's more 91, 92, but really a much more effective pitch for him. And finally, the Detroit Tigers took Daniel Fields out of Detroit Jesuit in the sixth round. He gets a million six hundred thousand dollars signing bonus to play for the Detroit Tigers. He had a tough decision between Michigan and the Detroit Tigers. Ultimately, where does Fields lie on the prospect list when you look at positions? Is he going to be as high high as a Kale Org? 
you know what, to be honest, he's probably higher than him at this point. Um, just from a pure, really offensive standpoint, Fields has the type of bat that really projects him to be that elite-level talent. Now, obviously, he's only 18 years old. He hasn't played a single, taking a single at bat in a professional baseball yet, so you don't want to throw those types of comparisons out there. But from a pure talent perspective, especially at the plate, he has a higher ceiling than really anybody else the Tigers have currently in the system, which is why the Tigers put such a premium on bringing him in, despite that really high price tag. Now, scouting director David Chad said today that he will start at shortstop but at some points, it seems like he questions the fact that Fields will be able to play shortstop throughout his career. What are your thoughts on that? Do you think this is a career shortstop, or do we see a move in the future? I would probably expect him to see him end up moving at some point. I'd say they'll probably give him at least a couple years to see how he does at shortstop. The thing is, he's really already, um, just from an upper body standpoint, he's really more of a built guy, and at only 18, typically you're only going to expect to see that increase. And typically, you know, his body mass and your upper body bulks up, you're going to lose a lot of, you know, lateral quickness and really the ability that you really need to have to play shortstop. So I think ultimately we're probably going to see him end up either at third base, maybe somewhere in the outfield. We'll have to see where he's going to end up feeling most comfortable. But I think ultimately he's probably not a shortstop. Realistically, though, his best bet, his really tool, his, you know, key is that he's a hitter. So the Tigers are going to put him in the best possible place to get his bat to Detroit as quickly as possible. Uh, Wilkin Ramirez is a really very good example or a, you know, a corollary, so to speak, in that Wilkin, they tried him at third base, but he was really struggling with defense, and he was having to focus so much on trying to get the defense down that his hitting was suffering. So the Tigers felt they were better off moving him out to left field where he didn't have to spend nearly as much time focusing on his defense and could really focus on his hit tool, which is what it was key to getting the big leagues was anyway. Finally, Paul, Daniel Fields comes from a pedigree that – is used to Major League action. He's been in Comerica Park before his father's Bruce Fields, the hitting inst- former hitting instructor for the Detroit Tigers. Much like Alex Avila, does that Alex Avila does that help him out having that background? You know, that absolutely helps him out. I mean, from any number standpoint, obviously just being around big league baseballers and kind of knowing what the life is like is certainly beneficial. I mean, there's no shortage of guys that have family members in the organization and, you know, playing elsewhere. Obviously, we've seen Prince Fielder really become one of the top hitters in all of baseball, and certainly any Tiger fan remembers when Cecil was at the top of his game as a Tiger, there would be stories about the young 10-, 12-year-old Prince Fielder coming in and putting on hitting displays at such a young age. So anytime you're brought up in that lifestyle and in that environment, it's going to be a huge benefit just because it's really one less thing that requires adjusting to. You know, a typical 18-year-old kid – it just really is coming straight out of high school, jumping into professional baseball. It's really a, quite a bit of an adjustment. It's culture shock in some cases because they're not really used to that sort of atmosphere. Whereas somebody like Fields, he's really interacted with you know big league ball players from a very young age. So that sort of thing just really isn't going to be a problem for him. He's going to understand what his coaches and what his managers are going to expect out of him. And he's also going to understand the lifestyle a bit more. Paul Wesner of Tigestown.com, the home for Tigers minor league coverage and in-depth team analysis. Paul, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks, Joe. When we come back on this week in Detroit Tigers baseball, we'll be joined by two guys that know Detroit sports, the Knee Jerks' own Greg Eno and Al Beaton, respectively of GregEno.com and WayneFonts.com. We'll talk about the Aubrey Huff trade. We'll talk about the recent play and the Boston series as well. Stay tuned. That's all coming up on this week in Detroit Tigers baseball, episode number eight. There is only one site to get the most timely, insightful college football analysis, Fantasy College Blitz. With a combined 50-plus years of playing, Fantasy College Blitz pioneered the hobby in 1995. Cheat sheet customizing for specific league setup, multi-year statistical analysis, interviews and discussions about the latest trend, and news on the Blitz Radio Podcast. You want to win your league, humiliate your friends, and take the trophy? It's all about Fantasy College Blitz. Want the best spin on sports, pop culture, and just about everything else? Just put your name on it. That's all I say. Be a man or woman. Put your name on it. All right, all right. Calm down, Herm. It's the Fan Addict with Adam Best, the senior editor at Fansided.com. On the Fan Addict, Adam will cover the best of times. Roger Clemens is coming back. Oh, my good goodness gracious. He'll cover the worst of times. It's my 
teeth. It's my quarterback. Maybe you guys do that, man. It's unfair. Whether it's unfair or not, Adam Best is there for the downright weird. Far. And now, whoa, what happened here? Fan came it's the Burger King guy. What is going on? The Burger King guy? Is that the best you got? You need to check out this senior editor's spin on sports, pop culture, and just about everything else. It's the Fan Attic on Fansided.com. Welcome back to This Week in Detroit Tigers Baseball. I'm your host, Joe Dexter, today joined by Greg Eno of GregEno.com. Hey, Greg, how's it going? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me, Joe. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Also joined by the Wayne Fonts Experience own Al Beaton. Al, how's it going today? Doing just great. Always a pleasure. All right, well, let's get right to it with the Boston Red Sox series. Justin Verlander had a performance to remember against the Sox, eight innings. Greg, he was your Monday morning manager hero of the week. Tell us a little bit about what you thought of that performance. Well, that's about as close as you'll get to a must-win in the regular season. Um, We talked a little bit about it in the knee jerks. Uh, You know, when you get a situation where you haven't beaten a team all year, like the Tigers hadn't beaten the Red Sox all year, you're uh, looking straight down the barrel of a four-game losing streak. Um, division's tight. Already people are saying you can't play with these kinds of teams, and I'm one of them. And then you go out there and you have a performance like this, just shut down the offense that uh, you know had been terrorizing you the previous three days. Um, you know, blowing a guy away in a 100-mile-an-hour fastball on the 123rd pitch of the game, I mean, it just doesn't get any better than that. That, that was uh, Jack Morris-esque right there. That, that was terrific. L, when you look at Justin Verlander's performance, where do you rate it up there on the season? Is it one of the best for you? I would, uh, yeah, I would, I would put it probably as uh, one of his top three. Uh, it's funny in that uh, Verlander's had to do this more than once this season, where he had the one stop a losing streak, two, even more importantly, bail out the bullpen as the bullpen had gotten trashed by the uh, events in Boston, including the uh, the tussle between. Uh, Rick Porcello and Kevin Euclid. So considering um, all the, I guess, uh, intangibles with the, uh, with the Tigers basically getting screwed over in the, by the fight and the rulings afterwards, uh, being stretched thin pitching for the, you know, it's a pennant race. You know, some of the, uh, some of the performances he had early in the year, obviously early in the year where things weren't as, uh, I wouldn't call it desperate, but as important as they are right now in the middle of a pennant race. So when he added all together, uh, you could definitely make an argument that this was his best performance of the season, maybe his best performance since his uh, no-hitter a couple years ago. Well, Greg, you mentioned it, one out of four against the Boston against the Boston Red Sox in Fenway Park. And you have been one of those that I've been on the bandwagon as well, saying that this team isn't one that can compete with the big boys. What are your thoughts now mm-hmm. after this Boston series? Much the same. Um you know, I, it, it still makes me uncomfortable. Uh, the only thing that kind of gives me a little bit of uh, a pause is that uh, the postseason can be so different than the regular season. Uh, you know, we saw the St. Louis Cardinals win 83 games and then win the World Series. Uh, you know, the, the Tigers went into the 06 playoffs kind of limping, and nobody gave them much of a shot. I was one of those people as well. And then they lost game one in New York. It didn't look like it was going to be much different. And then they all of a sudden rattled seven straight wins. So... Uh, that gives me a little bit of hope that, that, that they can, you know, maybe it becomes a different season, if you will. But I just would feel a little better if they would, if they would be a little bit more competitive. It doesn't seem like they're even really in these games against these teams. And that's, that concerns me. It concerns the upcoming when, when, when Tampa comes in here in a couple of weeks. Because, you know, that's another team that uh, I don't know that the Tigers can hang with. Well, it has definitely been an offensive challenge for the Detroit Tigers so far this year. They try and spell that by acquiring a left-handed bat in Aubrey Huff after the Boston series. We'll start with you, Al. Do you think this solidifies the lineup? I know you wanted that left-handed bat. Oh, God, did I want a left-handed bat. I've been yelling for one all year, uh, both on the blog and on the knee jerks. But, uh, yeah, considering uh, what was available out there and what they had to give up, I don't think the Tigers could have done much better. Uh, Huff has, uh, even though he's having sort of a down year, especially after his career year last season with the Orioles, uh, his his stats with runners in scoring position are would blow anybody else on the Tigers away, even uh, Miguel Cabrera. And obviously he has more RBIs than Cabrera does as well at this point. Well, now that's changed since the trade, but uh, I guess the best way to put it is I love, the, I love the pickup for his bat. I'm just concerned that this means... 
Carlos Guillen is now playing left field. And if you ask me, that's a recipe for disaster. But they needed they needed that stick so badly. I can live with the with the defensive the uh, the lack of defense coming from Guillen in left field. I just hope Guillen stays healthy. That's the main thing now. I guess that was my next question leading into that, Al, is where does he fit in? Is this a guy that you play at DH? Or uh, Dave Dombrowski said that his best position, scouts say, is the outfield. Do you give him a chance in the outfield? I really doubt it. Cons- I- he was picked up for strictly for his bat. His, he's, less, he's been less than dynamic in the field his entire career. And he's, any place else he's able to play, first base, he's blocked by Cabrera. Third base, he's blocked by Inge, and Inge has gone public with his demand to play every day. And as we saw a couple nights ago with uh, Ryan Rayburn essentially blowing the Royals, uh, the Royals game the other night with uh, three airs, he's not going to play there either. And considering uh, I, you have this huge amount of space to cover in the Comerica Park, or Comerica National Park as it's often called, I wouldn't... I don't trust him out there. Not that I trust um, Guillen that much either, but you know, Guillen's a former shortstop. He can cover some ground. Uh, he's, he can be a little more respectable out there than Huff. Huff is here to pit, which means he's going to DH. And from what we've seen so far, that's what Leland has planned for him. He's going to be strictly a DH. Well, Greg, we bring up the point that Aubrey Huff is blocked by Brandon Inge, and Brandon Inge wants to play every day. Dave Dombrowski said in the phone teleconference about the acquisition of Aubrey Huff that there's no chance for the DL for Brandon Inge. If you're in Dombrowski's situation, if you're in Jim Leland's situation, you've got a guy at Aubrey Huff that's decent at third base. Would you put him on the DL for 15 days just to see if it helps? Well, it's... It's pretty much, or at least about a month ago, it was determined that a 15-day stay wasn't really going to make much of a difference in Brandon's condition. Um, so that, and that was why it was really not considered, and not the least of which it wasn't considered was by Brandon himself, who said, look, I, I don't know what sitting me down for 15 days is really going to do. There wasn't any medical support that said that, yeah, if you do this, you'll be all better or you'll feel even significantly better. And that, since that wasn't the case, he decided he would just try to play through it uh, He's undergoing all sorts of gruesome um, physical uh, um, uh, uh, little um, pregame uh, rituals here with the medical staff trying to get uh, get him into a, some sort of comfort zone. But no, I wouldn't put him on there. I, I don't think it really, uh, you know. Then now you got to talk. Now you got to come back and maybe his timing's off with the bat, which it already probably is anyway because he's he's so physically in so in so much physical pain. But then now you bring him back after. For 15 weeks in the DL, maybe you have to put him, maybe give him a two or three day uh, rehab stint just to kind of get his timing back. So then all of a sudden, you've really lost almost three weeks at that point, not 15 days. And at this point, with only six and a half weeks left to go in the season, I don't know that that would be something that's. Uh, but like, I, like I've like I've said on the knee jerks, he, we may wake up one morning to news that he's done because he just can't physically do it anymore. He's pushing himself. He's really pushing the envelope here, and uh, you know we don't know how this is going to turn out. And I hate for would hate for him to miss any sort of postseason if the Tigers qualify for that. But you've got to give the guy props for you know, not packing it in with him when a lot of players, a lot of lesser men would have gone on the DL. Very valid point there, Greg. Brandon Inch hitting that walk-off home run against the Kansas City Royals. His bat has been valuable so far this year. And, Al, I don't know if you caught the Seattle game where the ball did just get under his legs. You think that was a factor, the injury? I know Rod Allen said that it was. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, I totally agree. Uh I'm surprised Inge has played defense as well as he has since the, uh, the knee injury has cropped up. Uh, and, it, and this is going to come up every time he does make an error, he makes a misplay, and obviously with the bat because he's dropped off a cliff since the All-Star break. Uh, but I'm with Eno in that you, at this point you can't, you can't bench him, you can't sit him down, you can't put him on the DL. Uh, this should have happened three weeks ago when, when it was obvious he was struggling. Good Lord, they're trying. They're, it sounds to me they're getting desperate. The latest now, they're injecting glucose into his knees. Uh, that sounds, uh, if that doesn't reek of desperation, of trying to keep him in the lineup and trying to keep more than anything, keep his, his great glove in the lineup, it, I, I don't know what does. But yeah, any, I, I agree with you at this point. Any, any misstep from Brandon Inge, the knees are going to come right to the forefront. And the Tigers should have nipped this in the bud three weeks ago. They haven't. Now they got to live with their decision. 
They definitely do have to live with that decision. Hopefully Brandon Ainge can hold up. And Greg, I don't know about you, when we saw that play, it almost was heart-dropping simply because you know that he couldn't make the play and he really wanted to. Well, you know, if you can look at it that way and you can look at it that he just missed the play. I mean, sometimes you, you do that even when you're healthy. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I agree with Al in the sense that um, – I, too, am surprised at how well he's been able to play defense. And uh, that's why I don't really care, frankly, if he, especially now that they picked up Huff. I don't care if, he, if the guy hits another home run all season. I don't care if he drives in another run all season. If he's going def- to prevent runs from scoring, with the Tigers playing so many nail-biting, close games, I mean, it seems like every single night it just goes right down the wire. Well, you know, a play, a play like the, the, the type that Ryan Rayburn did make, did not make on Sunday, for example, that cost the Tigers the game against Kansas City, those kinds of things can change a pen race, can, can determine a pen race. If it happens two or three times down the stretch, you know, it doesn't go your way. I mean, those are two or three big games that you, 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 could, you could really have used in your back pocket. So I don't care if the guy hits a, a lick the rest of the way. If he can play defense the way he's been playing it, if he starts to not be able to do that, then we have an issue. But right now, I'm I'm fine with him struggling. I mean, I wish he was not, but I mean, I know why he's struggling. I'm fine with that as long as he's he's preventing runs from being scored. And I think most of the diehard fans out there, Detroit Tigers fans, agree with you on that point. And it, when you look at Brandon Inch, he's been loved in Detroit. He's been hated in Detroit. Al, if he comes out through this and the Tigers make the playoffs and they do make a push towards that ALCS or maybe towards the World Series, I know I'm getting ahead of myself here, but mm-hmm. does does Inch become the face of the franchise, you think? I would still think that's Curtis Granderson, even though he, I, he has dropped somewhat in the eyes of the fans and probably the Tigers with his struggles this year. Uh, but as the uh, one, he is the longest tenured Tiger at this point. His entire career has been here. Uh yeah, I, I, I could say that if it's not Granderson, it could be Inge. And if, if the Tigers do get to the point where, as you say, they are in the postseason, uh, Inge could get to the level of the how the Puck Bunnies feel about Chris Osgood, which would be pretty damn high esteem indeed. Well, Brandon Inge was a big part of the offense in Kansas City as they headed into Seattle. The offense struggled a bit so far in this series as it wrapped up today, but Miguel Cabrera, he does get a clutch hit, a single that drove in two runs. Ryan Rayburn with that crazy play to steal home, and we talked about it, you guys talked about it a little bit on the knee jerks, and we'll go to Greg on this. Miguel Cabrera, is he stepping up? Is he going to become that clutch hitter, especially now that he has more protection in the lineup? Well, it's you know, uh, I kind of got on his case a couple of weeks ago, and I also uh, put him under the microscope at Monday Morning Manager, and um, lo and behold, he uh, kind of made me eat a little bit of crow. He's come up with some big hits. I will definitely uh, concede that. He's been, uh, he's been really good. He's been really clutch, really, frankly. Um, and uh, he's stepping up to the plate, literally, and really taking uh, control of, of uh, certain situations. And uh, I think that uh, this is a very good sign because these are the kinds of hits. He's getting the kinds of hits now in the last couple of weeks that I was complaining about that he wasn't getting uh, most of the season. So that's, uh, that's a really good sign, I think. Hopefully he'll get out of the doghouse. Well, Cleet Thomas, he's losing playing time now that Aubrey Huff has been added to the lineup and added to the roster. Cleet Thomas comes up with a walk-off single today. Where does he fit in, Al, the rest down the stretch? Is he a guy that you have to keep up there? I think at this point he is. Uh, it's, it's it's gotten to the point now where we, it's obvious Maglio Dornias is going to get vested into his contract, and the platoon has pretty much stopped. But Thomas is a much better defender than Ordonez. Uh He's okay with the bat, even though he has been struggling as of late. But that yeah, was a huge hit he had this afternoon. So I'd say yeah, he's he's there. He's solidly in place as the fourth outfielder, and we will see him a lot late in games because you don't want Maglio Donez uh, trying to cover that space in right field. Uh, and plus, there's also the uh, matter of, uh, Carl, uh, again, Carlos Gannon left. So there's going to be plenty of time, plenty of playing time available for uh, Cleet Thomas just because uh, of the lack of defense being shown by the corner outfielders. So uh, everybody break out your uh, Cult of Cleet uh, t-shirts because he's going to get in a lot of PT. Greg, you mentioned in your Monday Morning Manager how you don't like the defense of Cleet Thomas. Talk about that a little bit and what you meant in your Monday Morning Manager. And 
what are your thoughts on Cleet Thomas throughout the rest of the year? Well, you know, what I didn't say is that I didn't say anything about not liking his bat. I think, you know, uh, he, he does come up with some hits. You know, uh, he, um, he, doesn't, uh, uh, he doesn't really disappoint you with bad at-bats necessarily. He, he battles up there at the plate. What I meant by the defense was that, uh, and some of this is, has, has to do with his over-aggressiveness, I think. He's just a little bit too hyper out there, and he need, I think he just needs to kind of tone it down a little bit. I think most of the mistakes he's made has been because he's, been over aggressive and he's he's been a little bit um, more like a bull in a china shop and not not as much finesse as you need to have. I know Andy Van Slyke is uh, sure working with him on a daily basis. Uh, Cleet's got potential to be a good outfielder. I, I didn't say he didn't have that, but I, I just don't like the way he's playing it right now. I think he's he's playing a little bit a little bit frenetic. And um, uh, the Tigers have never had, really for years have not had good arms in the outfield. I mean, they've been able to some of the guys have been able to catch the ball. But the throwing has been suspect, and I think Cleet's got a better arm than most of the guys they've got out there. But uh, he just tends to make mistakes that are born out of uh, maybe not playing the ball right, not getting a good jump, not not uh, getting a good angle on it. Uh, you know, maybe backing off when he should when he should back off instead of uh, again uh, attacking the ball. It's just kind of it's just, these are just nuances that that a young player has to learn. So I really wasn't I didn't mean to trash him as much as I just was disappointed in the way that he's. He's uh, he's played, but I also know that he's young and he's he's likely to get better. At least I hope he is. Well, Greg, one guy that I'm going to trash because he deserves it for his defensive lapses is Ryan Rayburn. We'll go to you, L, on this one. Where does he belong on the team? Is this a guy that's going to stick around for the whole year? Are we going to have to put up that? Uh, I think it's obvious he's here for the rest of the year. I really thought he was going to be the man that was going to was going to be sent down when Huff was picked up. Instead, they sent down Eddie Bona on a pitcher, and you're just going to plan on shuffling pitchers back and forth between Detroit and Toledo as needed. And uh, I, th- I think Ryan Rayburn is safe. I, it's pretty obvious at this point uh, that I thought he was a better glove man than he's turned out to be this year, uh, especially in the outfield. I can understand him having issues at third base. It's not his most natural position. He has picked up a little bit at first base as well, but he, for – what he's needed to do, being the uh, an extra outfielder, uh, an extra bat, uh, you have to be really good at one or the other to really make the stay in the league. And as of right now, he's not really doing much of either other day, but he has picked up a little bit with the bat as of late, such as the big home run he hit, the, uh, I believe, yesterday. But uh, I expected more from Ryan Rayburn this year, and he has really disappointed. Uh, but for some reason, Jim Leyland really seems to like him, and he's going to continue to play him. Again, this is something else I've been railing about, is that uh, Jim Leland has a tendency to put players in a position to fail, especially role players. And we saw it with Ryan Rayburn playing third base, a place he should never be late in games. And that game, if you, it doesn't fall on Ryan Rayburn because he should have been out in the field. That game falls on Jim Leland. But, but Leland, as, as I've been saying, he loves the Ryan Rayburn, and I think he's with the team for the duration. That's an interesting point you bring up about what Jim Leland has done, putting people in the wrong positions. He's been known as a guy that sticks players in at the right times. You look in the playoffs, Alexis Gomez with the big home run when he's inserted into the lineup back in 2006. And Greg, I, I agree more with Al. What are your thoughts on that? Is Jim Leland putting some players in bad positions? Well, you know, that's one of those things that uh, is kind of a 2020, hindsight's 2020 deal. I mean, uh, I, you know, Rayburn, it, it kind of brings up the, the, the whole Bill Buckner 1986 Red, uh, Red Sox-Mets uh, World Series gaffe. When he gets all the blame and Johnny McNamara, the manager, gets none of it for putting Buckner out there to begin with instead of Dave Stapleton, a younger, much more agile, much better defensive first baseman. Nobody talks about that. They all talk about Buckman and, and, uh, and uh, kind of like what Al was saying, you don't put that game on Ryan Rayburn, you put it on uh, Jim Leland. Uh, you know, I think, yeah, I think sometimes he does, but I think that what Jim tries to do is he tries to, uh, I think he's also one of these guys that likes to teach, and he likes to put people maybe in situations, we look at it maybe sometimes as positions to fail, and he might look at it as positions to grow and to, and to learn. And um, it might it cost them a ball game or two, maybe, yeah. But I think that he looks at it in a different way. I think we look at it more through the, the glasses half empty uh, in, that, in that way. And I think Jim looks at it more of an opportunity for a guy as opposed to 
uh, a, a recipe for disaster. So I think I think it's just maybe two different outlooks on the same kind of decision. We wouldn't do it because we're afraid to fail, and maybe he does it because he wants them to learn how it, how it is in those situations. Well, coming up for the Detroit Tigers, it will be the Oakland Athletics. They'll head on the road. Some young pitchers for the Athletics. We'll start with you, Al. What is the key for the Tigers in this series? It has to be that offense getting on the right track, doesn't it? Oh, unquestionably. Uh, they're, they're a Jekyll and Hyde team at this point of the, of the season. Well, it's, it's been proven out all season long. Uh, they can't play. They can't hit it on the road. They have enough trouble hitting it at home, but they hit just enough to win, as we saw today. They go on a road, and I, it's like they leave the bats back at a hotel. But they have this bad habit of making young pitchers, bad pitchers, pitchers without much of a track record look great and make great pitchers look unbeatable, unhittable, and Hall of Fame worthy. So you're totally correct. It's all about the offense at this point. I'm, I'm, con- I'm convinced the pitching is good enough at this, at, uh, this juncture. Uh, the bullpen salad, the starting rotation has really is really coming into a solid say for Washburn, who is not uh, uh, he's let's just say he's not bringing back memories of Doyle Alexander, but uh, it's still they're pitching well enough to win most games. They are not hitting well enough to, to win enough games. So you're totally correct. It's all about the offense getting untracked. I don't anticipate it happening even against a bottom feeder like Oakland, but we can always hope. That offense definitely needs to take a step up. But, Greg, one of my thoughts so far is this week, this last stretch, has been one of the better stretches for the Tigers offensively all year. When you look at the clutch hitting that they've had down this this last week and the, the last few weeks, I think that the offense has a chance to come out with it, especially if Aubrey Huff continues or looks to hit better as he gets accustomed to Detroit and playing with the Detroit Tigers and Carlos Guillen continues to hit well. What are your thoughts on that? Is the offense going to blossom anytime soon? <laughs> well, these two wins against Seattle this week were uh, pretty um, pr- pretty important because um, we've got a situation where um, – You've got two games in which the Tigers were, were down, and they, and they have not been very good in those situations where they need to come up with runs, especially late in games, especially with runners on base, especially with runners in scoring position. And it did not look like a game. Two, both of those games did not look like games the Tigers were going to win. So hopefully that, that's a good sign. that they, Now they've learned to win a couple of games like that, get a little more confidence. But you have to be... A team like Oakland, Joe, you got to. These are this is a team playing out the string. They've uh, some guys looking ahead to next year. I don't care where you're playing. I know the Tigers haven't played well in the road, but you got to win two out of three against teams like this. The good teams, teams that win divisions and make playoffs, beat teams like this, and they beat. They, and they've got to win a home. They got to win a series on the road. They have, I think they've gone like nine straight road series without winning. That's got to stop right now. Well, it will be a tough task for the offense, but hopefully they can come up on top in Oakland. Well, guys, to wrap up the show, I want to talk a little bit about Dave Dombrowski, what he's done this offseason, Mike Illich as well, promising to bring on some payroll. They do. In the phone conference when the Tigers acquired Aubrey Huff, Dombrowski, I asked him, are you done yet this year? Are you done with what you're planning to do? And his answer was, I don't have anything on the table, but we're willing to do anything to get this win in this division, to win this division. What are your guys' thoughts? We'll start with Al. Is there something else that can be done throughout the waiver wire that would help this team down the stretch? You never, I'm never, I'm not going to say never. I hate using two double negatives there, but there's always a possibility, you know, back in the seven, in seven, 1972, I know Eno has brought this up in the knee jerks, but in the past, uh, the Tigers picked up Frank Howard, and, you know, even though he wasn't, even though he wasn't even eligible for the uh, playoff roster, he did make an impact in September. Uh, we've seen the uh, Tigers do this with uh, Matt Stairs back in uh, 2006, where he actually did make an impact in the final couple of weeks of the season with his left-handed bat. But I really don't anticipate a real difference maker being available, especially by the uh, uh, before the rosters finalized on September first. Uh, I am in, I am encouraged by the fact that uh, Illich did actually allow for payroll to be increased by the picking up of Huff, who was making eight million a year. But honestly, I think with the roster we see right now, save for maybe who they might bring up from Toledo when the rosters are allowed to expand, I think what we see is what we got. 
unless it, it's some, something unfathomable happens, like uh, we saw with the White Sox picking up Rios, which, you know, that's, that's an amazing amount of money they had to, to pick up to, to grab him on waivers. So unless the Tigers are, are going to get somebody who's going to jack, I mean, really jack up payroll uh, by another team's salary dump, and I don't know if the Tigers are willing to go quite that far, I think what we got is, I hate to put it, but what we got. Greg, when we look at what could happen, Dabrowski's saying pretty much the team's done what they wanted to do. They got Spark at the backup catcher position in Alex Avila. Yep, I guess that's how you said. I've been told it's Avila, Avila, but now that when I was in the room, Al Avila said his name was Avila, so that's how it will work out. But when you look at what they've done, he says that relief pitching, they'll be able to add Bonderman or Robertson coming down the stretch, and that will help. We talked about Avila. He brings in offensive presence, and they're able to bring in Huff. Is there anybody that you would bring in if you had this chance, say you were the GM of the Detroit Tigers? Well, you know, you never know who's out there, but I, I guess what I would look for is, as we get into September, and we've seen these kinds of things happen. Uh, Al mentioned Matt Stairs, and he was brought in like in mid-September that year. He was brought, he was brought in pretty late, but, you know, he, he had a couple of key hits. As a matter of fact, he almost uh, helped the Tigers win that last game against Kansas City when they, when they could have won the division. I think he tied the game with the home run in the ninth inning or something like that. Um, you know, you can, you can sometimes pick up a guy at the very end who might be that, that one of the most character guys, one of those guys in the wars. Uh, I know the Tigers, uh, going back, showing my age here, in 1974 they got rid of Jim Northrop in, sometime in August, sold him to Montreal, and he kind of languished with the Expos, and all of a sudden the Orioles who were in a big-time divisional race at the time brought Jim in for like the last 10 games of the season, and he almost, he's like 500, and he almost got the Orioles into the division title. So you can pick up guys like that at the very, very, very end who are like character veteran guys who have been through the wars a little bit and aren't rattled by, you know, these, these gut-wrenching, every night's a nail-biter kind of a thing because they kind of are used to it. If somebody like that comes along, I, I'd look at it. I'd look at an experienced guy, but I'm, I'm with Al, though. I think for the most part, this is what you're going to get. Uh, save something like what I just mentioned. This is pretty much what you're going to get, and this might be good enough if if Huff can can be that spark plug. Greg Eno of GregEno.com, Al Beaton of WayneFonts.com, the Wayne Fonts Experience. Catch them on the Knee Jerks every Monday night at 11 p.m. Eastern time on Bog Talk Radio, guys. Thank you for your time, and keep it up on the Knee Jerks. Thanks, Joe. Appreciate it, buddy. Always a pleasure, sir. Thank you. When we come back on this week in Detroit Tigers baseball episode number eight, we'll close this show with some thoughts and we'll take a look at the upcoming schedule as well. It's all here this week in Detroit Tigers baseball episode number eight on the Fan Sided Network. Confessions of a Potentially Perfect Parent brought to you by AdoptUsKids.org. I don't know how to talk like a parent. Don't make me come back there. You see what I mean? It's pretty awful. Try it again. Don't make me come back there. Now that's pretty good. That one kind of sounded like my dad. Weird. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. There are thousands of teens in foster care who would love to put up with you. Call 1-888-200-4005 or visit AdoptUsKids.org for more information. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt Us Kids, and the Ad Council. So, you think the football season's over. Nothing is over until we decide it is! Guess again, there is no off-season. I'm Andrew Garda of the Thundering Blurb Football Show, and I'm here to tell you that every Wednesday at 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 Pacific, on Blog Talk Radio's Fantasy Sports Channel, the Thundering Blurb Football Show will have you covered from the start of free agency to the combine to the NFL Draft. Every Wednesday, I'll bring you the interviews from tons of prospects firsthand and straight to you from training facilities and pro days. Know who you need to draft before anyone else. Listen to the Thundering Blurb Football Show every Wednesday at 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 Pacific on Blog Talk Radio's Fantasy Sports Channel. Welcome back to This Week in Detroit Tigers Baseball. Here's your host, Joe Dexter. Welcome back to This Week in Detroit Tigers Baseball, episode number eight. I'm your host, Joe Dexter. Well, this week for Detroit Tigers fans and for the organization alone, it has to be a good week. Firstly, they're able to add prospects like Daniel Fields, Jacob Turner, and Andy Oliver to the organization, some guys that could really help in the future. Secondly, they get the bat that they desperately needed, the left-handed hitter Aubrey Huff from the Baltimore Orioles, who brings a guy that can drive in runners when they are in scoring position. Earlier in the week, I was able to join other media members and talk to Dave Dombrowski via the phone about the Aubrey Huff trade. I got the last question in, and I had to ask Dave, are you done yet? 
Well, I don't I I safely I don't know. I mean I don't have any other that I'm working on right now, but we still have six weeks to go in the season, so you never can tell what happens. We're trying to do anything we possibly can to win, um, you know, within reason. Uh, we're not trading our uh, top prospect, or, for example, for some guy that just helped us for a game, but we're in a position where we are trying to, to do what we can to win. Uh, Mr. I has been very supportive of us. You can see that we've picked up a significant amount of payroll uh, since July 31st here at the trading deadline with uh, the two acquisitions in a very tough economy. And so uh, we're in a position where... Uh, we're trying to do what we can. Again, I don't have anything going on. I think we've addressed a lot of our needs. We, when you up getting Washburn, our starters are better. Uh, I think our bullpen's been pitching in a solid fashion. Uh, we have a chance to get guys like Bonderman and Robertson back relatively soon, uh, if not before, right after the September 1st uh, time in which the rosters expand. We're able to add a hitter to the lineup. Uh, we've got a backup catcher that I think helps us. So, um, we have done quite a bit, but you know, are, are we in a position we're done? I really cannot answer that because you just never know what takes place. We'll see what happens down the stretch. Either way, you've got to give credit to the Tigers organization for sticking to their word, whether they were late or not. Well, that's going to wrap up this week in Detroit Tigers baseball episode number eight. I want to thank Greg Eno of GregEno.com for joining us in Wayne Fonts Experiences Zone. Al Beaton at WayneFonts.com, both of them together for a great show on Detroit sports. It's called The Knee Jerks. You can catch it every Monday at 11 p.m. Eastern time on blogtalkradio.com slash The Knee Jerks. I also want to thank Paul Wesner of Tigestown.com for joining us in the Prospects on the Prowl segment. Paul and the guys over there at Tigestown.com bring you the best in minor league coverage, that's for sure. Well, that's going to put another episode in the books. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to This Week in Detroit Tigers Baseball. Do you want to be heard on the show? Email your comments and questions in to MotorCityBangles at gmail.com or call our voice line at 231-683-1367. This Week in Detroit Tigers Baseball, bringing the best Tigers bloggers together to talk about your team. Until next week, go Tigers!